Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to the real life of Nisha D and I am your host, Nisha D. On this upcoming season, um, we're talking about You Won't Break My Soul. This morning, I have a very special guest, my sorrow, Christina Lewis. Christina, welcome to The Real Life of Nisha D. How are you? Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm good. How are you? I'm fine. I thought you would be the perfect person for this season of You Won't Break My Soul because when we sat in Dallas in the lobby, there was a divine connection. And I was like, Kelly, I like you, Kelly, because she's so cool and laid back. Like, to know her is to love her. So how is life treating you since you joined the sorority? Oh, it's wonderful. Um, I have met some wonderful ladies um, that really fit, makes me feel like it's really a sisterhood. Um, you being one of the main ones, you know. <laughs> you well, and, thank and, you. And the group that we uh, participated in for the Texas crew, it's like we all gelled like immediately. The vibe was great. I am a firm believer that it, for me, I always believe in sowing good seeds and uplifting um, people that I come across in this world because you never know a person's story. You never know what has transpired in their life to lead them up to that moment on the way they are. Um, when you all were coming over, my brother was murdered in cold blood and I was a loss for words and I was hurt and I was angry because I felt like, why is it so much violence? So at the same time, that song, You Won't Break My Soul by Beyonce came out. And I listened and I listened and I'm like, okay, God, you are using me, God. You are using me. Okay, God. So you won't break my soul. And it just stuck with me. So when I seen you, I seen a story, story that you didn't tell me that day. But I seen a story that was deep, that was passionate, that can help others. You know, on this show, we deal with transparency. And we deal with integrity. And I want you to tell my listening audience a little about yourself. And then we'll go on into detail about what made things that transpired in your life and how it didn't break your soul. What made it and what made it not transpire to not break your soul. So tell us about yourself. Oh, that's a that's a uh, it's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you know, um, I am from California, um, born and raised in um, a city called Morovia, California, which is twenty six minutes from Los Angeles. Okay, um, I grew up in the seventies. Um, which I feel like the seventies was the best, like the best ever, um, <laughs> the best ever. Right. <laughs> like right. I seen, I seen the black and white, not in black and white, but I seen the black and white. And, um, I have also, uh, went through the struggle in the eighties, uh, you know, when the crack hit the scenes, um, it, it like destroyed a community, you know, it destroyed a community. Um, I was raised, um, by a single mom. Mm -hmm. My mother married my dad at at a young age. And I guess before I even turned one, they were broken up. So um, it was me and my sister. But for some reason, we always had a household at my grandmother's house. And in the grandmother's house, I had my grandmother, my grandfather, and my great-grandmother. So <laughs> plus, my mother is the oldest of seven children. So um, I had the opportunity to grow up with her younger siblings um, in the house. And me and my sister were the first two uh, grandchildren that my grandmother and grandfather had uh, back then. So um, we seen a lot. We seen a lot. They tried to shield us from a lot. A lot of things were, you know, washed under the rug, as they say. 
Um, but I always paid attention. Mm. I paid attention and I asked many, many of questions, many of questions. And that started with, uh, whatever my grandmother, whatever my mother didn't tell me, then I would go to my grandmother, whatever my grandmother didn't tell me, then I would go to her mother and whatever she didn't tell me, I would go to my grandfather, whatever he didn't tell me, I would go to the siblings that were the siblings of my mother. So, and right now today, um, some of those seven siblings don't know much about the family history as I do being the second oldest of the grandchild, the mm. grandchildren, um, because I, I, I was very nosy. <laughs> so I, I asked a lot of questions. And when I heard little things, you know, uh, when you go around your ancestors back then, it's like when a child walk, walk up, it's like they hush hush. But then in that era, we was also seen and not heard. <laughs> Well, so. yeah, that was a different time and era. Yes. Um, but if we're going to be truth, truthful and transparent, that era was an era of learning. <laughs> and many lot. mistakes. The live, the learn, the mistakes. Your grandmother was your safe haven, would you say? Yes, ma'am. She was your yes, safe haven. Absolutely. So... What was the first traumatic experience that you experienced that you questioned? Because as a young, it's what people don't understand. Being a young black woman growing up in a society viewed as the hood, the ghetto, or the projects, or, or just a working class area, it's hard. Because you don't have the resources that you need. And you have to sometimes go out of that area. Yes, ma'am. Um, I would say that my first traumatic experience is I had to be about eight years old. My sister was nine. We're only maybe like 14, 15 months apart, something like that. So we were very, very close. And my mother was not going to have it no other way, you know. But my first traumatic experience, um, we went to Georgia to visit my dad. We hadn't seen him in years. I mean, many, many years. Um, it, I mean, it seemed like that even though I was eight years old. That's not a long time. But to me, in my head, in my little heart, it was. Um, we went to Georgia. Uh, we met our grandparents for the first time. Well, me, I met my grandparents for the first time. My sister had been out there um, with my mom, you know, uh, prior years when she was much younger. Um, so when we went, you know, my grandmother lived in this big old house. Um, the environment was very different coming from California to Georgia. They still had outhouses, you know, mm -hmm. the cousins still took baths together, which was beyond me. Um, um, you know, I still seen houses that was sitting on bricks, you know, I still seen the black and white signs where, you know, black people couldn't be in certain areas um, at that particular time um, due to the color of the skin. So, we, you know, really, we didn't understand that. My mother, like, kind of, like, told us, like, before we went that it's different there than it is in California because California is the land of the free. You know, I didn't, I didn't experience anything far as black and white in California as I did when I went to Georgia. Um, uh, my dad lived in the projects, um, mm -hmm. you know, so he was, he had a full family there, you know, um, the lady that he was with, she treated me and my sister absolutely great. Um, her children, you know, we grew up as, as time went on, we grew up and started calling each other siblings. You know, my dad was with that, this lady for many, many years and I loved her. Um, but we would always want to be at my grandmother's house. So at my grandmother's house, it was my, my dad's sister, who was an auntie to us that we also knew from California. But over time, she eventually packed her stuff, and her and her youngest daughter, which uh, is my cousin Vicky, they moved back to Georgia. Mm -hmm. and, but the whole time we were in California, and she was in California, she would get us, like, every weekend, you know, um, she she treated us like we was you know her nieces or daughters slash daughters you know that's how she treated us mm -hmm. so when we went to to Georgia we kind of expected to get that same treatment but I guess because 
I mean, this is just how I feel. I feel like um, once we got there and she seen how the family was, you know, they gravitated to us because like we not there every day. They hadn't seen us. They had, this was their first time meeting me, but they always wanted to know who Leroy Kids was, you know, so we looked at different, we act different, our hair was different, we dressed different, everything was different about us once we hit Georgia. They knew we wasn't from there. Um, luckily, we had, you know, most, we had a big family. My dad has a very big family, and, you know, we gravitated to all of our cousins, but in my grandparents' house resided my dad's sister. They grew up as sister and brothers, but in natural reality, she was his niece. Mm. <laughs> so that's a whole nother story. She was the niece. You know, um, and we never knew that until we got older. But anyway, I think that like some jealousy factors, you know, focused in at a young age. Um, you know, she we would get up in the morning time and, you know, when we want to be at our grandparents house and she would get up and fix my cousin like pancakes, eggs and bacon. And back then they didn't have like they had in California. They didn't have like the Miss Butterworth syrup and the Aunt Jemima. They had that rabbit, whatever rabbit <laughs> something that I was not accustomed to and it did not agree with my taste buds. So really my grandparents went out and they, they went from store to store, from store to store to try to find me some Aunt Jemima or some, some uh, uh, Aunt Jemima or uh, Miss Butterworth and, and they found it. So I think right then and there, my auntie was like, well, dang, you know, <laughs> they getting that royal treatment, you know? <laughs> right. So we noticed like for days, you know, we would get up in the morning and she would do this. She would fix her daughter, you know, eggs and bacon and pancakes, stuff that a normal kid at seven or eight year olds would want, you know, but she would make me and my sister eat cereal, which I was fine with cereal. I love cereal. Right. But it's just the fact it didn't seem right to me. You know, I'm smelling the bacon in the morning and <laughs> I'm smelling it. You know, I'm smelling it. And it's, it's, it smells it's, good. It's, yes. It and it's craving good. my stomach to that kitchen. We go in there. We only see like three pancakes and like three pieces of bacon. Well, what about me and my sister? So, you know, kind of like we was taught, you know, um, some things is better left unsaid, you know, but I mean, how much more can you take? So eventually I finally uh, broke down and told my dad, you know, we want to come to your house. We want to be at your house in the morning time, you know, because Auntie uh, and Doris is, you know, she treating us different, you know. And so once I told him that and told him what she was doing as far as the cooking in the morning, I mean, he came down to my grandparents' house, which he, they didn't even live 200 feet. He lived in the projects with, with his girlfriend and the children, and my grandparents lived down, down the road. And so he came down there one morning. I guess he came to, to catch her in the act. So he came down there, she was cooking them pancakes and bacon, and he was asking her basically like, well, what about my kids? You know, what about my children? My chilling, you know. And, <laughs> and she was like, well, what about them? She was like, you up there, basically, you up there with the with your girl, so you need to make sure your kids eat, <laughs> you know, basically. So I mean, it, it went into a big old argument, and all I remember is, you know, back then they had those uh, big black hutches, mm -hmm. antique hutches that they stored stuff in that, you know, the ops, the unseen, you know, and for this on this particular day, she went in that hut because her and my dad was passing so many words, and she went in there, and I just remember her getting a gun out of there. And once she got that gun, she started waving it at me and my sister, you know, saying, you know, I kill your kids and this, that, and the other. And I was kind of like, I have never seen that like this before in my life, you know. I was kind of scared to call my mom, my grandparents, and tell them back in California because I felt like my my trip was gonna be short. They, it's gonna end right now, today, you know. Um, so that was, that was like my, my, my biggest traumatic first experience that I experienced something that I felt like I was coming close to death, you know? Um, so that went on and, and, um, I don't really remember like what happened after that, but I just know that, uh, throughout my, my child, throughout my childhood, I really never wanted to speak to her again. And I didn't, um, it, it, it was devastating. Um, and up until maybe a few years ago, I didn't realize that my sister had blocked that whole, she had blocked everything out until we were talking about it. And I was saying, remember that time, you know, Auntie Annie Doris pulled the gun on it. And she was like, you know, she said, huh? 
she said, then she come back and she tell me, you remember everything. I told her I do, you know, I said, and that's what happened. So then as she started remembering, as we started talking about it, 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 it dawned on her, you know, this is what happened, you know, and she didn't realize how she had put up a brick wall, you know, you know, and it, needless to say, throughout the years, I still had that, that wall up, you know, so that was my, that was my first traumatic experience. You know, um, one of our um, line sisters, I, I, her and I, we had an in-depth conversation. And I spoke on growing up, I seen my uncle get stabbed. And I was eight years old, and I still remember it like it was yesterday. And for me, I don't like violence because violence never solves anything. And and as black as being a black person, we are already dealing with post traumatic stress disorder. And I and I say that to say because the odds are stacked up against us already because one, we're black, two, we're women. No matter how much education one has, no matter how much money one has, it's stacked up against you. And sometimes when trauma be so extent in one's life you block it out because you don't want to remember it you don't want to feel that type of hurt and you don't want to keep reliving it over and over and over so sometimes we put up a blockage and we block it out and that was very i mean because southerners should be very friendly but when you come from the deep south because georgia is the deep south um, there's a lot of hurt in that. Oh yeah, most definitely. There's a lot of hurt. Most definitely, still today. And I never understood why, as black people, they don't want to talk to a therapist. Because I think a lot of issues can be resolved. Period. It doesn't matter. Um, what it was, if you can sit down and you can communicate and you can talk about it, it can be resolved. Because sometimes some things are maybe she probably felt that your grandparents was favoring y'all because y'all were from, you know, here I go with my Texas twain, y'all. <laughs> y'all were from the West Coast and they're coming in from Georgia. You stated y'all didn't look alike. Y'all clothes was different. Y'all talk different. Y'all act different. It's a, It's like a different world when you come in from a different state and you come to a little small rural town or or maybe it wasn't rural but it was a small town and here you go here go here come all of you and y'all city girl form and fashion and they're dressed like you know country country people yep tell, tell me is, are you able to forgive because that is a traumatic experience that she pulls out a gun and aims it at your father in front of your kids in front of the kids. These are kids. In front of his kids. In front of her child. Yep. Um, I think I was. I think I did. Um, in 2011. <laughs> now that happened in the 80s. The early 80s. So in 2011. Um, I think that I did. Um, just based off of. Uh, you know. Uh, my dad had came to. Uh. He had came to um, California for my son's graduation from high school. And also I graduated from college that year. Mm -hmm. So when he came from Georgia, um, you know, she, she didn't live too far from me. She had moved back to California and she had been out there all these years. And I just never, you know, she actually, they live right around the corner. When I say right around the corner, I mean that right around the corner, like a hundred feet. And she would come over. I even worked in the same building with her in uh, uh, 1998, ni well, 1999. I worked with her uh, at a building and for the census. And me, her, my mom, my aunts, all of us had a job there. And my mom, it was very difficult for her because she knew that that's what happened. You know what I mean? So it was it was very difficult for her to even talk to her, although that they had... A, a, a regular, you know, mother, uh, well, sister-in-law relationship prior to that happening. But my mother had never seen her again, you know, after her and my dad had broke up. I mean, 
like little things like and say for instance they give something and you know me and my sister would go you know when we were much younger they would give like little mother's day dinners and stuff but I I still my I still felt the same way but my sister still had that wall up and it's just like she had blocked it out and so it was just a regular conversation but this particular year 2011 when I took my dad came and I took him to uh Ontario which is like 15 minutes from where we used to live to visit his sister um I when I took him I took him the the intention was to drop him off and that's what I did I took him dropped him off and I stayed gone for a couple of hours then when I got back, cause he asked me like, you're not going in. And I told him, no, you know, I'm not going in, you know, and uh, no matter how many years it has been since I seen her, I wasn't going in. So I didn't. So once I picked him up, she came outside. And when she came out, I noticed that she had an oxygen tank on, you know, she was, she was sick, you know? So she comes over to the car and basically was telling me, you know, basically her apology was, this is how she laid the apology out. She didn't just go ahead and say, you know, I'm sorry. She What she told me was, you know, sometimes in life, you know, um, if you was never taught how to love or you was never shown your love, no love that you don't know how to love. So I take it that that was her apology, you know. And I just said, I just looked at her like confused. Like what, I mean, I don't know what I'm supposed to say behind that. And I just left it at that. And then she died a couple of years later. <laughs> That was her way of asking you. And and though it was <laughs> it was a uh, a weird way of apologizing. She apologized because she wasn't taught how to love. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I took it as. And and nevertheless. Um, her children, you know, we've always had a close connection except for the one that was there when it happened, which is the youngest one. And right now today, you know, her, she lives here in California. Her son just got drafted to the New York Nets. Um, and it's like we had, a, we don't communicate like we used to when we were kids. And I'm cool with that. You know what I mean? Because I know I didn't do anything wrong. I'm cool with that. You know, I just feel like she's carrying the burdens of her mother. And uh, maybe one day we'll have a conversation about it. Maybe maybe we won't. But I know that the other children that was not there, it's just like it, it, it never happened. We don't discuss it. Um, we don't we don't discuss it. We don't discuss it, you know. But, you know, back back in them days, I, I'm going to say this. Um, I feel like... Um, you know, I was not taught to wash things under the rug, but my I was taught to be very vocal. That's what my mother created into me. You know, don't be scared to voice your opinion. It's not what you say, it's how you say it. So I've never been afraid to, um, I, I was when I was, I was younger, I was afraid to voice my opinion. Um, but something, something inside of me just will not let me not voice my opinion, you know, because it was always instilled in me. So I have no problem with telling somebody whether they remember it or not, you know, because sometimes when people don't remember stuff, it becomes a conflict because they don't remember it. But I do, you know what I mean? So um, to avoid, you know, going through that, I I, I really would like for her to, I, I want me and her to talk about it. I do. And I prob I'm probably going to get my chance real, real soon. You know, because we as kids, we were very, very close. And now we have this distance between us, although we live fairly close together. And I, and I don't understand what the distance is. You know, um, it's like when I used to see her, like when, when we were raising kids, like I said, they, they used to live right around the corner from us. And our kids played at the YMCA for basketball. And I remember this one particular day, my niece, um, we were up at the YMCA and my niece um, asked me, my niece on my husband's side, um, she asked me, she said, auntie, isn't that your cousin? And I told her, yep. She said, y'all don't talk. I said, well, I said, I'm not going to force myself to talk to nobody. That's just me. I'm not going to do it. If she don't say nothing to me, I won't say nothing to her, period. And. But I found out later on, you know, as I'm, I'm getting older, it, you can't be like that because 
shit let yourself shine you know you ain't you know you ain't did shit go go speak go give a hug you know because you ain't did nothing you didn't do absolutely nothing. and she didn't either but i think that she knows that we felt some type of way about her mother you know um and we did and it, it and it didn't have anything to do with her you know so if for any any reason reasons in the world if she felt some type of way she shouldn't have you know, especially now that she's raised um, some children and they all are adults now. And you know how we feel when it comes to our children. If anything <laughs> come towards them, it's, it's, it's going to be a problem. So, well, you know, I think like this and, and I totally agree. But sometimes you got to be the bigger person sometimes because you don't know what a person is going through. Right. Maybe the trauma of her witnessing her mother pull a gun on her uncle in front of y'all did something to her, right? Yeah. And she took it away. You're right. She she may have taken it, wow, this is my mother. Wow, this is my family. What happened? Why would she pull a gun on my uncle? So and, the key, and her cousins. And and her cousins. So the thing is sometimes being a bigger person is being a bigger person. You know, when you get a chance say, hey, would you like to go to brunch? I miss my cousin. I miss you. And I want to see you. And I want to talk to you. And I want to tell you how much I love you. And how much of an important role you played in my life growing up as being my favorite cousin. We were more like sisters than cousins. And sometimes. It was. And, and you sometimes, know what? You just, you just gave me something that I'm going to I'm, I'm gonna do that. Sometimes gonna, we must humble ourselves and um i remember juanita bynum stating let me humble myself right now god let me humble myself because sometimes we gotta humble ourselves because especially when you know that you can be a bit hot-headed you know or you straight to the point and sometimes people can't take that Ba-da, ba-da, ra-da-tat-tat-tat-da-da-da-da in your face, because I know sometimes I'd be like, wait a minute, hold up, wait, who, what? Oh, yeah, but then, you know, God pull you back in and be like, listen, you don't know what that person is going through, right? Just because that person is looking a certain way and being manipulative or saying uh, manipulative things or just being hurtful to you you don't know what that person is enduring when people look at me they just see this strong beautiful woman but they don't know the hell that I went through so you can't let nothing break your soul on that you still got to be that shining light and sometimes we can be the only God people truly see because it's grace and it's mercy that carries us over, right? Yes, ma'am. It's the grace, it's the mercy that carries us over. People see me, they, and they were like, Kanisha, you you look, well, you know, for my listening audience, that's my real name, but I'm pretty sure I said that several times. But everyone calls me Nisha. Nisha has been through a lot of shit, a lot of trauma. I have lost a lot. I have been in horrible relationships. I have been through it all. But no matter what I have been through, even when my cousin stabbed my uncle, I still love my cousin because my cousin, Arnold King, was funny. Like, he will always say, you know, he was like the Richard Pryor of our family. You know, for me, when I'm seeing him, that's how he was. And though he killed, he didn't kill my uncle. He stabbed my uncle and my uncle could have died from that, but he didn't. At the early age on, this was in the 80s. This was like 88, 87. Mm. I'm a little girl seeing this. Now, this trauma could have traumatized me in ways where I didn't want to trust anyone because this is my uncle. This is my mother only brother. This is my mother baby brother. And this is my cousin. And my cousin is living in the house with us. And this is my grandmother's house, right? Mm -hmm. Grandmother's right. always the safe haven. But when you witness trauma like that, that's why I always treat people the way I want to be treated throughout 
my encounters because I don't know what that person is going through. I don't know what trauma they just experienced, what just happened to them to bring them to the point where they're just the way that they are. Now, if you spit on my face and you call me some names that, you know, then you're going to see Shaquanda from Fifth Ward. Okay. Hey, she is a mess. She would what? She would bring it. But, um, but at the end of the day, you can't allow things to break your soul. So that's, that's one of the traumas that you had in the 80s. But I want to talk about the traumas in the 90s because now you're grown, grown, right? You're, you're teenage years, right? Um, I graduated in 88. So, okay. I so mean, you're grown was... now. You're a grown, grown woman now, right? You're yeah, in the 90s. In... In the 90s, I'm in the 90s. So I think that my first traumatic, my my first, my second traumatic experience in the 90s was, um, had to do with another gun. This time it was a gauge. <laughs> oh. Clink, clink. Yeah. This time it was a gauge. Um, <sighs> um, where do I go with this story? So, um, I have, um, a cousin, which is like a sister to me still to this day. It's my mom's, um, sister's daughter, her oldest daughter. And she is a year younger than me. So we were raised like sisters, you know, for like, and we still are like sisters, but, um, she had had, you know, some traumatic experiences happen to her throughout her adolescent shit teenage shit adult young adult uh, the whole everything so um we lived in you know we were in california and um she kind of you know she was very kind of promiscuous i should say when when we were younger so when it leads over to adulthood and you still have those same promiscuity promiscuities um you know, she still thought thought like a child, in other words. And she had already she had had uh two children. So she kinda like uh had got involved with a guy that was whining and dining her, you know, sending her flowers every day and giving her I don't know about five star meal, maybe four star back then too, maybe, you know, steak and shrimp, you know, salad anyway, and um my husband, well, it was my baby daddy at the time. We wasn't married yet. You know, he was seeing this and he like kept telling her like, you know, um, the type of lifestyle, the way that the guy looked, you know, his, his, his. Welcome back. You know, when you're about one thing about the devil, the devil know when you're about to just put baby, listen, (laughs) (laughs) you won't break my word sister. You won't break my what? Let's say my it soul. You my won't soul. break my soul. So as I was saying, and as we were talking, sometimes you got to be the bigger branch, that olive branch, and, and, and reach out. Because, you know, that was a traumatic experience for the both of you. So now we're in the 90s. The 90s <laughs> was hip-hop culture culture um drug cases because you know they that 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 rico Tyrion act that they had uh inflicted on people california the 90s hip-hop west coast take me to a moment where you was like you know what this is too much but this won't break my soul what was the high what was the low in the 90s for you because we're forever evolving into something higher than ourselves Nas once said when you evolve a higher God emerges and then when that higher God emerges you're able to see more Nas nah, said, nah, said it um you know so in uh, 1992 1992 so I had my first baby in 1989 fresh out of high school so I was basically still considered a teenager 
because I got pregnant with her at 18 and I had her at 19. And I knew a lot about raising babies because I come from a very big family and babies was always like in my face, always. Um, I did not like babies. (laughs) I did not want no babies. (laughs) But I, for some reason, I felt like when I got pregnant with my daughter, God did that to me to sit me down for a reason because I had seen so much in the 80s, in the early 90s. I had seen so much and I could have went a number of different routes, but I didn't. Um, So I had my daughter in 1989 and she was truly a blessing. Beautiful, beautiful baby. Well, look at Um, the mama. Hello, (laughs) Doug. Thank you. (laughs) You a pretty girl, a beautiful woman yourself. She was beautiful. And at that time, I knew, okay, at that moment, I'm like, I got to grow the fuck up. God has given me, he sat me down. Um, I got to grow up real fast, you know. So uh, in 1992, I had my firstborn son. And my son passed away in uh, 1992. Uh, He was uh, five months. Five months. I'm sorry. Yeah, and uh, I, it's like my whole world just collapsed. I'm literally, literally right in front of my face. I had, I was so angry. I was so bitter. I was so emotional. I mean, I when I say anger, it was that's an understatement. And I mean, with everybody, crackheads, <laughs> God, <laughs> crackheads was the number one because I that my first emotions was like, um how do God allow crackheads to have babies and they, you know, and and they continue to live with these babies. And for me as a modest citizen, young girl, woman trying to evolve into, you know, womanhood. um, And you just took my, you, you, I went through them nine months. I, 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 with this particular baby, for some reason, he gave me hell from the beginning. Cause I, I, I had to get my labor induced three times and he never came. He never came. Three times. Oh, he was stubborn. Very stubborn. <laughs> very, very stubborn. So I, I, you know, and at that time I wasn't thinking about it like that, but I, I, I was like, okay, I never, you know how people be like, oh, this what I want, this what I want. The only thing that I asked God to give me was my girl, and He gave me my girl. Anything after that, I didn't even care, never cared. But He gave me three boys after that. <laughs> yeah. And when I seen him, I mean, he was almost, he was 714. He was thick. He had the hair like mine. It was straight black and, you know, straight. It was, it was, he was a beautiful little boy. I mean, beautiful little chocolate little boy. That was the only chocolate baby that he gave me. And he took him away, took him away. And it devastated me. I mean, when the time that he was in the hospital, he was, in a hospital that is well renowned right now, it's called Loma Linda um, Hospital. It's a it's a it is a teaching hospital. Um, seven day Adventist. I mean, he went into the hospital se- September the nineteenth. I will never forget it. Um, of nineteen ninety two, we were at a, a friend's. Um, some of my husband's friends that he grew up with. We were at their uh, little boy uh, birthday party at the park. It's September is hot in California. Um, kind of windy, you know. So at the end of the day, um, by the time we got home, my son just kept crying and crying and crying and crying and crying. I didn't know why. Just crying and crying and crying and crying and crying. And so I felt like I started calling my grandmother. My grandmother was like, you know, maybe he got colic because you guys were out in that wind. You know, he's, he just was born in August, you know, and y'all out. But even though it was warm, it's still, you have to, you know, think about the old sayings that our ancestors and taught us about when you stepping out after before your six weeks and, you know, all this stuff. So uh, me and my husband took him to the hospital um to the hospital that I kept taking him to because I had a crying situation going on with him and he had like this little discoloration in his eyes so my grandmother kept telling me you know these doctors is quacks and you need to go get a third opinion on why he crying so I took him to a black doctor Mm -hmm. and I will never forget it that Friday before all this happened I took him to a black doctor 
And before the doctor even examined him, he told me, I'm going to make uh, an appointment for him to go to Loma Linda Hospital Monday morning um, to get an MRI done, um, which I had tried that already with my local hospital. And because I was on Medi-Cal, you know, low income, I was on Medi-Cal, they would not put him on that MRI machine. So over the, over the months, that liver was getting inflamed, more inflamed. But I didn't know, you know, I'm young. I didn't know. I just kept hearing, you know, my family saying something wrong. Like he has a discolor dis discoloration in his eyes and he's crying all the time. I mean, he was a cry. I mean, he cried, cried, cried. Not on top of that. Only not, 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 uh, not even that. I was very sick after I had him, my breast. I, I was breastfeeding him and for some reason, my breasts, when I say they got hard as a rock, I mean hard as a rock where I can knock on them and you can hear it. Jeez. I had caught, I had set up an infection inside of my breast for I don't know why, don't know where it came from. Uh, my husband's grandmother was here from Chicago and his auntie. And um, I had, I, I was sick when they were here. And his grandmother, um, she came in and she touched my breast and she was like, something ain't right you know something ain't right she told me to stop breastfeeding him he wasn't taking it anyway but she told me to stop breastfeeding him she said i'm gonna go she started asking my mother-in-law you know do you guys got an old rexall drugstore i'm going to get something it was something with some mint in it i can't remember what the name of it is right now but it was something with some mint in it and she mixed it with something else and she rubbed it all on my breast and it just started releasing that milk. Well, right, right. well, by that time, now my milk is poison, so I can't give it to my baby. You oh, know, Jesus. Yeah, now it's poison. So, um, still, I didn't, I didn't think that he was as sick as he was until he got sick that day, which was September nineteenth of nineteen ninety two. We went into the hospital that night, and they started telling us, you know, they're going to medivac him to Loma Linda, which he had already got an appointment because I took him to the doctor that Friday. Um, he already had an appointment set up for him to go to get an MRI. Well, he didn't make it to that. He didn't make it to that appointment. Um, my husband told them, they start telling us, well, we're going to medivac him. And my husband was, you know, like, F that. Like, we're going to take him ourselves because you guys could have did this 10 days ago, you know. So we took him to the hospital September the 19th. Um, the next morning, which was Monday morning, um, they ran several tests. Um, they put him under the MRI machine, come back that he had, uh, his liver was inflamed. Don't know why. Then as the days went by, so they said, okay, well, we're going to do this uh, surgery, you know, to try to uh, let the pressure off the liver. So they did the surgery. So then when the surgery was over, I'm, I'm, I still haven't left the hospital. It's now going into October. It's now going into October. He's still in the hospital. Now they then found that he has something called bilary arstesia, which we didn't have cell phones then, so I couldn't Google. Computers was not very adamant back then, um, um, so I couldn't Google. Um, so... This bilary RCs just kept sinking in and kept sinking in. So at that time, I went and got an attorney, you know, because you guys, this doctor has been mis misdiagnosing my baby this whole time. This, this The whole short time that he's been here, he's been misdiagnosing him, um, telling me, oh, no, ain't nothing wrong with him. Just sending him home. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so um, here it is, October, you know. <laughs> His body is just, he was big already. He was 714, but he was thick. He was almost eight pounds. So he was already getting bigger. But as the days go by, Miss Kanisha, his body was filling up, filling up. It's getting bigger and bigger to where he was looking like the little Goodyear blimp to me. My in my eye. Um, so I kept questioning and questioning, like, why is his body getting bigger? Like, what, like, why? Um, the, the the surgery they thought it was successful apparently when they went back in go back in to try to prepare repair something that he did the doctor comes down now it's, it's some vital concerns because now I'm, I'm questioning why is his body filling up so the doctor comes down all my family was there um 
my grandmother, my grandfather, my my mom, all her siblings, um, people from the church was there. You know, they came to pray, and all of a sudden, a doctor comes down, a white man, um, face all red, and he just started crying. And he told me that when he did the surgery, that he uh, he he accidentally cut some main arteries. So oh. this is why my baby body was getting bigger because his body was filling up with fluid and blood filling up just filling up so he said i'm gonna go in and try to stop the bleeding you know and 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 i'm gonna go in and try so he did a third surgery well that third surgery didn't it it didn't it didn't it didn't it didn't it didn't uh it didn't go well so now we come down to a choice. Okay. So I'm just letting him live on a ventilation machine. You know, um, it's, it's October. So now we going into November and he's still on this ventilating machine. He was aware, but not aware, you know, um, and I'm talking to him every day and, you know, um, he's getting bigger and bigger and like, um, the tape, he had so much tape from the IVs. Um, it started to rip his skin off, you know, Oh Jesus. Yeah, it started to rip his skin off. I mean, from the face to the stomach, it was ripping his skin off because of the tape and the IVs and and all the fluids in his body. Yep, yep. Oh my God, he was so precious and so precious. His eyes were shaped like mine. He his his skin tone was like mine. He had all this curly hair on top of his head, and I'm like this cannot be happening. Like this cannot be happening. Like this cannot be happening. I mean, this cannot be happening. I I can even remember, um, I went home, you know, one night I just, I went home because I had, I still had my daughter to take care of, you know, um, although she was with family, I still had my daughter to take care of. And, um, mm, it's making me emotional out of all these years. It's okay because Um, you're healing. Let that healing come in. Just let it come. It's okay. Because that's a lot when you have to. Uh, I'm, I'm trying not to cry because this is so emotional. I, yeah. My heart goes out to you. His birthday was family. just the other day. He would have been 30 years old on the 10th. His birthday was just the other day. Happy <sighs> heavenly birthday, nephew. Yeah. Happy heavenly birthday. Um, I know Ooh. going through that your faith <laughs> was tested because you carried a baby for nine months and you birthed him out and then you only had him for five months and you questioned God. God, why did you take my yeah my baby away? You know, I can relate in a sense to that. Um not in the sense of losing children thank god for grace and mercy and my heart goes out to you but in the sense of losing my mother to uh, colon cancer um i questioned god i said god i'm 35 years old and i had all these plans for me and my mama to do stuff god why did you go and take my mother away from me and i needed her and i i beat myself up because here I am in the best medical facility in the world. The medical center is the top. It is the all the doctors all around the world come to Houston, Texas to to work in the medical field. And I uh, August 19th will make eight years since my mother up been gone. I found her body. She died in my house um, in my daughter's room. And I would call the doctors to see it. And he was like, it was nothing we can do because the tumor in her or the colon, the tumor spread so far in her body, it was nothing. Now, my mother was a strong black woman. And when I say strong, she was a strong black woman and she loved my sister and I, and she did the best she could for my sister and I. And for me to be in that hospital day in and day out, because when my grandmother used to say, once once grown, twice a child, 
I never understood what that meant until I understood what that meant. Once grown, twice a child. So you grown, you're a child, then you become grown, and then when you go back, when you get older, you become a child again. You become a child again. I had to lift my mother up, change my mother, bathe my mother, feed my mother. And I come from a family of praying women. My grandmother was a prayer warrior. Mama dear was a prayer warrior. And they always taught me, Mama, no matter what, pray. God hears you. And I was so mad at God. I say, you, and you know, the thing is, God gives. I'm sorry. My heart goes out to you because I can only imagine the the pain and sorrow that you felt losing a loved one, watching them die before your very eyes brought back memories when I lost my mother and I watched her die before my very eyes. Um, God told me in 2013, December 13, 2013, I'm going to take your mother. He didn't say mother. He said, I'm going to take her home. And I said, okay. And I said, and I always tell people, it's one thing to be told in the spirit, but it takes on a whole different life when it's manifested manifested in the flesh because now you're dealing with your flesh because you're angry like God allowed me to carry this child for nine months to only take my baby away but I also know that God gives you double for your trouble yeah I had one right after him God gives double for your trouble and he's my and he's my he's my humble but troubled kid he's 28 now um he's gonna be 29 so my son that passed away would have turned 30 uh on the 10th and then my one the one that he gave me (laughs) in replace is my 28 year old who's gonna be 29 and he's struggling with life so that saying what you just said (laughs) yeah he's he's very much struggling with life right now and um it ain't nothing I can do but pray for him and, and, and try to help him. That you said a mouthful. Sorrow, yeah. you said a mouthful. When I myself, people were praying for me. Yep. And when you can't pray for yourself, and that's why I always tell people it's very important that you sow seeds of goodness throughout this world and throughout this land because you never know you might meet a stranger that can save your life and change it for the better. You are praying. I'm may Heavenly Father. I, I pray that you anoint my nephew going in and going out, God. Touch him in a way, God, that opens up his mind, open up, open up his heart, God. Give him a piece of understanding, God. You said weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And I, I remember vaguely. I had just had my daughter. I was in the banking business and um, the bank that I was working for, Washington Mutual, was going out of business. I just had my daughter. I have three kids now. Um, I'm unemployed. I'm searching for a job. My credit has went, whoop, okay. And the lady told me I I wanted to work at this company so bad. When I say I met all the qualifications, I was that job was for me. She stated that the only thing that was holding me back was my medical bills. I'm like, well, I can't afford to pay my medical bills because right now I'm unemployed. My unemployment hasn't kicked in yet. My 401k or or my uh, my service package, none of that had kicked in yet. So of course I couldn't pay for anything. You know, I was just living on my 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 checks I had from work when I had to save it or whatever, but she said, and this stuck with me in your season of commodity is your season of understanding. So though you might seem like everything is against you, God is bringing you through it for a reason. God is bringing him through it for a reason. And because one thing my grandmother always said, the most powerful prayer that a person can have is the prayer of the mother. Hmm. And I believe that we endure so much. 
Hello? Yes, we 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 endure we endure a lot, but we understand that the closest thing to a one the a woman, a Death. black woman is the closest thing to God. Because yeah. everything goes through us. Yep. Yep. So, so you, yeah. So you bury I, a baby. Yes, I buried him and um over the years as I was able to look at all the pictures um that we took like from the funeral to the to the the burial you know the still to this day when I look at those pictures in the background in the clouds you see something different I don't know what it was I don't and I still don't know to this day but those pictures are very very different I wouldn't say scary but different very very different it's like he was watching over us um, and it was, you know, we supposed to be crying tears of joy. Um, and, um, you know, it, 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 those pictures were, were something else, but I'm, I'm a back up a little bit. So after my son passed away, well, well, before he passed away, you know, the doctor come down and, uh, he was like, he was crying and he, he said he messed up. He, he, he accidentally cut some main arteries which caused the, 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 he said it in front of my whole family, in front of my whole family. Um, so we had an option whether to let him live on that ventilator to keep on living and, and, and trust and believe it was like a million things going through my head. Cause at that time it was, we had Sally, Jesse, Raphael, we had Montel Williams, we had Oprah Winfrey. It was so many success stories on there that I had seen prior to this happening about how people, um, had let their kids or their loved ones lived on a ventilator. And then 10 years later, they appeared, you know, they, they start breathing again, you know, and that was a hopeful wish for me, but it didn't work out like that. You know what I mean? So um, I had a choice and I had a matter of time, you know, to make this happen. Either I'm going to pull the plug or either I'm going to, you know, ch go, go by a chance or faith and, 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 and let this happen. But because I had, you know, so many different people in my ear, you know, telling me, you know, he's suffering and this, that, and the other, you know, I felt bad on top of feeling bad already, you know, and I'm like, like, God, how much are you going to make me go through before? I mean, I don't understand what you want from me. I don't understand at such a young age, like what am I, what have I done so bad that you would take my child away from me? This is what, this was my question, you know? And I would never get that answer, you know, and, and, and I still left out angry and it took a, a couple of years and it took my grandfather, my mom's dad to tell me, you know, I know you ain't been going to church, you know, and I know you tested, you, 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 you upset with God right now. He said, but God is your, your friend. He is your provider. He is your almighty. God is your friend. You can talk to God. I know it's saying in the Bible that don't, you know, you're not supposed to question God. He said, but I feel like you can question God because mm -hmm. he's so almighty. It's not what you say, it's how you say it. That's so, right. I started praying and praying and praying and praying and praying and, you know, I, I then I found out that I was pregnant again so it kind of like shifted my anger a little bit. But at the same time, I'm praying like I don't want to go through this no more. I, I was high risk. Um, you know, it was I couldn't do a lot. Um, you know, I, it wasn't a bad pregnancy. God blessed me. He blessed me with a big old boy, a big old boy, a big boy. And I named him Shaquille because the definition of Shaquille is a warrior. Indeed. So I, I named him Shaquille Marvay and I named him after my grandfather, the Ivory. I named him Shaquille Marvay D'Ivory Davis. That's his name. So, so, yeah. After you had this beautiful boy, beautiful baby boy, was there any repercussions from what the doctor did? Well, that's that was another blow. So, I told you um, that 
before my son died, I went and took out a lawsuit for uh, misdiagnose, misdiagnosis several times um, against this doctor named Lawrence Lai, um, a Chinese doctor. And um, I had this lawsuit um, for two years. And then, um, you know, some unforeseen things had happened. My husband ended up incarcerated. Um, uh, I go to, I get a letter from the lawyer, you know, he telling me somebody had referred me to this, uh, lawyer down in, uh, Hollywood off of Robertson street. And they was, it, it, you know, was telling me like, you know, go to this lawyer, plead your case to him. So he took my case and he was telling me this is what we going to get him for. This is what we going for. So in the midst of all that, you know, he was asking me like, do you have any doctor records and this, that, and the other? So I can only, he was only here for a little while, so I can only provide them with what I had. But I had a sister-in-law that worked inside the hospital where my son was. And she gave me all these records that they had, and they labeled him as a little black boy. Not by his name. They labeled him as the little black boy. Um, <laughs> um, so... It was saying, you know, how that because due to my insurance, they didn't put him on the MRI machine um, due to it was so much stuff that was in this file that when the lawyer got it, I don't know what happened. Miss Kanisha, I got a letter. The letter said that you need to come down to my office for a uh, what do they call it? Uh, uh, Litigation. Not a litigation. It was the D word. Um, deposition. 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 So in my head, I'm thinking, um, okay, well, they finna settle. In my head. Mind you, I'm still on in my early 20s. I'm thinking we finna, you know, he finna make an offer, this, that, and the other. I get down there and the lawyer tell me I no longer had a case. My body was frozen in the seat and tears just start running down my eye. And I'm like, what do you mean? So my first thought was this doctor then paid his ass off. Mm-hmm. And I'm still to this day, I'm not certain, but I do know that I was contacted because I never knew how my story ended up in a newspaper and I still have the clipping, how my, my story ended up in a newspaper because I never talked to anybody from um, the news, the, the, the newspaper. I never spoke to anybody. So my husband, aunt, she was, she was the one to get the newspapers every morning. She called one day and she was like, I'm just reading the newspaper and they got, you know, Rosalind Tyrone's story in the newspaper. I had never talked to the media, nobody. And so when I went and got, I went and collected every piece of newspaper that I can collect so I could send it to my family. Because like at this point, somebody must've felt like I had a case. Mm-hmm. You know? um, so I went and I got the newspaper and I read it and it, it stated everything from everything. It had this doctor's name in it, in the newspaper. And then along somewhere along the line, it said that this, woman this woman her child died from the same thing with the same doctor and the same thing happened so i called the newspaper and i asked the lady like i I said it was a a story printed up published about my son i said i never gave permission for this story to get published and i want to know where this story came from so apparently because the doctor this 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 other family put out a lawsuit on this doctor that's how the story got published she gave her story and then once they looked into his dynamic of the whole thing it's like you've been accused of this thing twice now you know and so i actually talked to the parent of the parent who lost their child and she said that she told me that the same it was her daughter she worked at the newspaper it was her daughter and somewhere along the line they seen you know you back then i guess at they had just started to where you can look at stuff publicly and see who um, had lawsuits against them and whatever. But her case never became anything either. So I don't know. I, I don't I don't know. So it never became nothing. It never became nothing. Nobody wanted to mess with that case for some reason. For some reason, nobody wanted to touch that case. So... Here we are here today in 2022, and I'm, I, I, I can't say that I'm struggling with the fact, but I just feel like um, it was some wrongful things that went on, and it, it got covered up. I, I think that it's time for you to, um, to get your closure and see your attorney that will take it. I have thought about that 
for so many years, um, but you know it has the thing about the statute of limitations. But I know that um, I have a cousin in Chicago who was a big time attorney. He has since retired. Um, he had told me like to get all my my son's records, and I did. I paid Loma Linda Hospital a hundred and thirty nine dollars for three hundred and ninety eight pages of records of the time that he stayed in that hospital, and everything was labeled as a little black boy, you know. Who says that in the, in the in the nineties? A little black boy, you know. We, California had overcame, you know, a whole bunch of things, but it wasn't as common as it was for per se in Texas and Georgia. You know what I mean? Um, so I I still haven't, you know. My cousin said one thing to me. He just told me, um, you know, he was willing to look at the case. He said, but you have to be sure that you are gonna want to open up that can of worms. Mm. I left it at that, and I never, and I never did. And you, but trust and believe till this day, I still feel like I have a lawsuit till this day. Well, if it's still in your spirit, then you know that's God telling you something, right? Yeah. yeah. What I would love to do is I would love to have you back on for part two, um, so you can finish your story because this story is powerful, and um. You got me all teary-eyed, crying up over here and stuff. Oh, I got some more for you. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I, I know. For you. That's why I know for certain we will have part two. Part two coming up this Thursday. Yep. 7 I'm p.m. With- my time. 5 p.m. mine. I want you to thank you for coming on my Thank beautiful you. sister. And I, I know part two, I'm going to have to buy a box of Kleenex because I know part <laughs> you two. You just, you just might. You just might. Part two will be everything. I thank yeah. you so much for being transparent. I pray that the living God, the God of truth, the God of knowledge, the God of wisdom, most of all, the God of love, anoint your going in and going out and give you comfort and peace in this time of more i hope it's somebody listening that want to take my case you just never know you just never know well until i see you again which will be thursday i pray god gives you strength continue to be the light continue to be the rare diamond that you are it was a reason why god allowed us to connect the way we connected i was like kelly I like you, Kelly. <laughs> you did. You did. <laughs> we never seen each other until that day, and it was like nope. we were friends forever. Yep. yep, 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 yep. I appreciate the friendship. I appreciate the love. We are sisters for life now. We're sisters. Yep, we and I am my sister's keeper. And I am too. Amen. But yep. I will uh, look. I look forward to seeing you on Thursday. Until then, you won't break my soul. You will not break my soul. Not at all, because I am a daughter of the Most High. Yes, ma'am. You have a wonderful afternoon. And until then, always remember, love is truth. Love is honesty. Love is joy. But most of all, love is you. So plant the love that you have, plant it and watch it grow. Until then, you all be blessed. Thank you.